once you learn that you can get a job again, then it allows you to take more risks. And that's one of the reasons I've gone to a couple other startups, four startups full-time since then, plus contracting at some other startups. This is Debbie, and welcome to another episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditch the norm to become location independent. We'll learn how to create sustainable laptop lifestyles from the experts that will help us achieve freedom from our nine to five. Hey friend, are you looking to land a remote gig ASAP? Well, did you know that we not only have a ton of online jobs you can apply to on our site, but now we are also sending them straight to your inbox. I'm happy to announce that we will be sending our email subscribers legit online jobs every Wednesday. We have done hours of research so you don't have to. If you want to be the first one to hear about the remote gigs we find, go to theoffbeatlife.com to subscribe. In this episode, I speak with Chris, who is the host of The Amateur Traveler, which is an award-winning online travel show that focuses primarily on travel destinations. He has worked for years in technology startups in Silicon Valley and was formerly the director of engineering for TripAdvisor. He's also ran online communities and events for companies like eBay, HBO, TV Guide, Expedia, Marriott, A&E, and so much more. So listen on to find out how Chris balances Silicon Valley and traveling. Hey everyone, thank you so much for being here. I am really excited to speak with my guest today. I'm here with Chris. Hey Chris, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us about you and why you live an offbeat life? Well, that's an interesting question. We were just debating whether <laughs> I live or not be life with uh, me less sure than you were. <laughs> so I am uh, a little older than your average listener, I think. I have a couple millennial kids, just to put me in the right generation here. I've worked in tech for a long time, since uh, Reagan was president. And I've worked my way up the corporate ladder, and I've worked my way down and off the corporate ladder and uh, and then come back at various times. So I work in high tech, uh, work in Silicon Valley. I've worked uh, about 18 years for venture-backed startups and worked for big companies and things like that. Worked my way up to be VP of engineering and then like worked my way to be a director of engineering for TripAdvisor and then left and uh, have been working my way down the corporate ladder ever since then so I could find more time for travel. Um, including uh, about six years as a part-time uh, programmer, a part-time contractor working about a third of the time. And then I also have a travel blog and podcast, which is one of the reasons I had some opportunities to travel that I wanted to be able to say yes to, which has led to some of my career choices. And I've had that for 16 years now. <laughs> well, I I'm just laughing because it's funny when Chris says that he doesn't know if he lives an offbeat life. <laughs> and he just, um, you know, mentioned to us some of the things that he's done. And I'm pretty sure you've you haven't even dug deep into really everything that you've done yet. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Chris, this is incredible. And I also love the fact that you say you worked your way down the corporate ladder. Can you explain that a little bit more to us and what that actually means? 
Sure. So, for instance, I'm working again full-time right now here for the last couple of years at a bootstrap startup company, but I'm working as an individual contributor. And my boss is somebody who reported uh, to me for 13 <laughs> years. I was I was his boss as the uh, EVP of engineering and operations for a startup company here in the Valley uh, that worked with a lot of major brands uh, doing community-based uh, products. And I intentionally, he, he actually, I followed him into TripAdvisor. We were both directors of engineering over there. I took over a group that he used to manage, which was flights. And why he brought me in is we've got a similar managerial style. And I worked there for a while and then decided I wanted to work on a, a product that I had created, which was called Blogger Bridge, which was to help connect bloggers and other companies. And I wanted to have more time to do that. So I, I left that company and went to work at a small startup company for about 18 months as a direct contributor. So I left management and went back to work as an engineer, mainly to learn some skills so I could do my own startup. I learned a, a new technology. For instance, I got paid by somebody else to learn that. <laughs> and so I was working at one startup during the day and I was working on my own startup at night. <laughs> and then, of course, podcasting all the, all the while at the same time. So I was working about three jobs at that point. And then left that and then went into contracting. Uh, basically started doing software contracts, many of them for the same person I'm working for now. So working, I spent three years working as a contractor back at TripAdvisor, including in the same group that I used to manage uh, <laughs> as a day-to-day contributor um, part-time. And they force you as a contractor to prove you're a contractor. You have to take time off. You have to take off, I think it was four to six weeks a year in a oh, row. Wow. You have to have a block that you leave, which is perfect for me. <laughs> you know, as somebody who was getting offered trips, I could take that when I wanted. So I would often take that around the, the TBEX, the Travel Blog Exchange Conference, which is one of the large travel blogging conference would be in, you know, Manila or something like that. Or, or I would have some press trip to wherever. And I would, you know, kind of back those up back to back and and take that block uh, as a traveling block, but then also take other times off during the year where I was, you know, I wasn't working even half time, uh, but as a software contractor, you can make a living that way. And, you know, I was making less money than I was as director of engineering, but I was traveling more and I was happy. (laughs) So, you know. (laughs) Well, you definitely did the opposite of what most people tell you to do, right? They tell you to work up the ladder, not work your way up. I did that. I did that first. (laughs) And then not work your way up and then go back down again. But you have a really interesting mentality throughout all of this because, you were learning. You did this to learn to do something that you wanted for yourself. So when you mm-hmm. worked your way up and then went back down again, what was that like? Was just was it something that you knew you needed to do? Was there kind of a preparation for that? What did your family think about it? Did they think you were crazy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> my my well, my kids don't worry about me anymore, and my wife <laughs> doesn't really worry because so I went to my first startup company <laughs> when my wife was eight months pregnant with our second child. Oh, the wow. theory being, hey, we're not gonna sleep anyway. <laughs> um, but I left uh, HP, which was the company I was at at the time, and the main reason I went at that time was that my boss had gone to a startup with somebody who had had three successful startups and the person who was the head of engineering had been behind the Atari ST and the Condor 64, which, you know, if you look up your history books, were <laughs> fairly significant computers for those of you who weren't around at the time. And so it was an opportunity that wasn't going to happen that often. Uh, and so 
I left there and it was a spectacularly unsuccessful startup. <laughs> um, we burned through about $40 million in about three years. And I was uh, laid off. I was unemployed. Uh, and the people who were laid off the day I was were the happy people. <laughs> <laughs> the ones who were staying were the ones who were, you know, going to be arguing about where the deck chair should go on the Titanic. Oh, I mean, the company no. was done the day that I was walking out the door, not just because it was me. but And I interviewed for two weeks and had seven job offers. So, you know, where I work in a field that is, you know, in Silicon Valley, we are not risk averse uh, as a rule in the valley. And I was working with somebody at that company, for instance, he had been at 12 startups by the time we started, you know, day one, I think. And, you know, 11 of those had gone out of business. And so it, you, once you learn that you can get a job again, then it allows you to take more risks. And that's one of the reasons I've gone to a couple other startups, four startups full-time since then, plus contracting at some other startups. So it's, yeah, so they weren't particularly worried about it, I would say. <laughs> well, being that risk adverse, it really prepares you for so many different things because you don't know whether that company right. is going to succeed or not. And you talked about all that money in just a few years. That's crazy to me. That's mind boggling for, you know, for most people. But it's really you living so many different lives in a span of a decade or, you know, a little bit over a decade. And you have all of these experiences. That's why you're so employable, right? Or you can create your own business because of all of these things that you got from that. And then you added on podcasting and blogging. And I would say that you're definitely an OG in both of those platforms. So tell us about that, Chris, because when did you start? Like 16 some odd years ago when nobody even heard yeah, of it? Yeah, I, I started, well, I started blogging actually in uh, 2004 and podcasting wow. in 2005. For those of you who don't remember podcasting in 2005, I actually started podcasting a little bit before Apple added podcasts wow. to iTunes, <laughs> uh, still very unknown at the time. And it had started a little less than a year before I got started. So the funny thing is, and you know, listeners will laugh at this, I thought I was late to the party. And, you know, I think about that every time it says, well, you know, is it too late to start a podcast? It's like, I thought it was late then. And, and you are. <laughs> and I was. But, you know, you have different advantages and disadvantages depending on when you started. When I started, it was, it was harder, both harder to get people to listen because there just weren't that mm. many people listening to podcasts. Uh, just It was very unknown at the time. You know, you spent a lot of years, not just, you know, months, basically explaining what a podcast was. <laughs> and um, also the technology was just not there yet. Uh, when I originally hosted my podcast, I was doing it on a computer in my back room an old Mac that I had sitting around that I turned into a server. And the first time that iTunes promoted Amateur Traveler, that thing did all but catch fire. <laughs> <laughs> it basically could not keep up with that demand and it went down. And, you know, and I'm sure that was only hundreds of downloads for that particular episode, which is um, less than I get now. Now I get, you know, a couple million downloads a year, somewhere in that range. So it, it's changed a lot since then. But I got into podcasting because I started listening to podcasts because one of the some of the first podcasts were tech podcasts, and I was watching a tech TV show, um, Call for Help, 
it was out of the Bay Area and then it moved to Canada and they got shut down and turned into a podcast, wow. a podcast called This Weekend Tech. And I started listening to it and, and I, uh, I liked the format. I liked it better than, certainly better than talk radio or something like that. That was another audio format. And for me, better than music. And so then I started listening to other podcasts that were out there and thought, I got to do, got to do my own podcast. And I, you know, I didn't know what to do at first. I thought about doing a tech podcast, but it probably would have been a Mac podcast because I was an, a Mac guy. That was my first uh, computer that I owned was an Apple II, and the second one was an a, a Mac Plus. And I worked for Apple for four years uh, after my first startup and before my second startup. And then I thought about that, but there was already a, an Apple show out there. There was already a Mac show out there, and why would you need two? <laughs> Now, of course, there's far more than two. I thought about doing a religious show, which I actually did start uh, the Bible study podcast about a year later than that. But we had some friends over for a Memorial Day picnic, and all the best stories were travel stories. So I thought, I'm going to do a story about my travels, which was a really stupid idea, <laughs> as it turns out, because I was still working full time. That was actually when I was at uh, LiveWorld, which is the community company that I mentioned. So I was a you know EVP of engineering and operations traveling four weeks a year and podcasting 48 weeks a year. And that math does not work. <laughs> so it uh, very quickly turned into an interview show. And I found I really loved talking to people about their travels. And it allowed us to talk about places I've never been to, uh, some of which I have gotten to since starting the show. I've done a lot of traveling because of the show. So that has been a real added bonus from there. Got invited to the Obama White House uh, because I was a travel podcaster, got to be a paparazzi for the day for the Pope in, in the country of, in the kingdom of Jordan uh, because I was a podcaster. Uh, so it, it's led to some interesting and surprising things. They use Amateur Traveler to teach English as a second language at Oxford University wow. and to test for English proficiency, that you, one should say that carefully, at, uh, for the Thailand Foreign Ministry. So it's, it's been an interesting ride. Well, this is something that most people don't think about when they think of podcasting. And it's so interesting, too, how you thought you were late to the game and now over a decade later and all of these things have happened to you because of the work that you did in this platform. Did you ever think right. you would get to this point where you would be by, like with the president, like traveling well, over no, the to the White to House? The, White no, House. the president was well, not there, just to be you clear. You know, he lives there, so it's okay. <laughs> the, the national security advisor was there and the director of the Peace Corps was there because they were trying to encourage people to study abroad. And um, I did get a chance to interview the, the head of the Peace Corps, who was a fascinating person. This is still an episode of the Amateur Traveler about that. But no, the president was not there. I didn't get to visit his house. <laughs> well, you were at his house, so that's the closest, right? That's, that's good enough. <laughs> and then the, the, the actual meetings were off in some, you know, uh, some office building, the federal office building, which uh, looks like the oldest building you had on campus in college as long as you went to the campus in an old college on the East Coast. <laughs> so, not at all a fancy place. <laughs> but you've done a lot of different things. And I do agree with you in terms of when you are interviewing all of these people. And I'm sure you've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people already throughout 
you know, over a decade of, of doing this already. And you do learn so much, right? And you make so much friendship from from these connections oh, yeah. that you have oh, yeah. so from i i'm pretty sure you have you know all of these people in mind what has been something that really stood out to you maybe you've learned a lot or you've made really good friendships from these interviews that you've had with your show well the, the friendships certainly stand out and a, but a lot of those you know got started in the podcast and then got cemented in the real world uh, with conversations with people when I met them, especially at travel blogging conferences, the TBEX conference, I've been to all but one, where I met some of the people that I met online for the first time. Uh, I think of Craig and Linda from the Indie Travel Podcast. Uh, they have pod faded that show, but you know, still friends with them or Gary Arndt from Everything Everywhere. Uh, but you know, a lot of people that I've gotten to know that way. But I think of the stories. See, for me, the, the medium is about storytelling, and I think of the best stories that I were told. And I, I think, for instance, of um, at a couple on who were from Canada, and they had biked across Iran. And uh, something you can do if you're from Canada, I couldn't do it as a <laughs> U.S. citizen because you need a little more uh, supervision if you travel to the country of Iran. But they were trying to get across the hospitality of the people they met. And then they told the story about they stopped to use a payphone uh, because they were going to call ahead to some of the embassies because they were biking across Central Asia next. And the payphones are apparently notoriously unreliable in Iran. And so someone stopped, some stranger saw them at the payphone and said, you know, hey, the payphones don't work that well. Would you like to use my cell phone? And then somebody else stopped. And then somebody else stopped <laughs> and then somebody else stopped. And they, sh- they sent me a picture of five different people on five different cell phones calling <laughs> the embassies, just trying to help some stranger that they had run into. And so those are the kind of stories that I remember and cherish from, you know, the times that we've done this. And then I think of the trips that we talked about and that I w- was able later to do. Zora O'Neill, who's a travel writer, has been on the show, I think, three times. The first time she came on, she talked about the Yucatan Peninsula. And she, you know, she talked about Chichen Itza and, and Cancun and all of those places. But she also talked about the Rudapuk, which is this smaller area of Mayan ruins near Merida. And she described it and it sounded so cool that we did it years later wow. and we we're able to go down and you know went to Merida in uh, Sunday as she recommended when there was the fiesta in the town square and ate you know one dollar street tacos which are I think still the best meal I've ever had <laughs> in Mexico and you know watch the people dancing the traditional dances and then you know, headed down to a, a cave where we were seeing 10,000-year-old street, uh, 10, street art, 10,000-year-old cave art. Street art, that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Graffiti from 10,000 years I ago. know. I'm like, th- that makes sense. <laughs> How many places would you say you've actually visited because you were inspired from your interviews? Oh, gosh. Uh, So it's hard to know now. I think I counted one time that when I started the show, I had been to 20 countries. And now I've been to maybe maybe not even maybe even a dozen. It hadn't been all that many, uh, actually, when I started the show. And then, you know, now I've been I have not been to Antarctica. I've been to the other six continents. Mm -hmm. And I 
have been to 60 to 80 countries. Depends a little bit how you count. So I've been to a number of different places now. And quite a few of those were places that I really wanted to get to after we talked about them. But some were also opportunities, you know, when the tourism board for Jordan calls you up and says, would you like to come? <laughs> <laughs> and and we'll pay for everything and we'll give you a guide and a driver, a, a, you know, to drive around Jordan for 10 days. You say yes. <laughs> um, and that's one of the reasons that I, you know, was working my way into part-time work and, and plan to do that again. Uh, it, it turns out that two years ago wasn't a bad time to get a full-time job because I've been working full-time through this time uh, here where it's a little more difficult to travel. But, um, you know, plan to go back to full to part-time work so I can say yes to, to various things. Uh, did have to turn down, for instance, a trip in 2019 to Greenland, you know, and then you hate to be able to, you hate to say that. So. Yeah. So with everything that's happening the last, you know, almost two years now with the pandemic, how has that changed your content and what you're doing with your podcast and your blog? You know, it hasn't, <laughs> <laughs> which is a challenge. And there were definitely a few voices that said it should. There was definitely one person who left a one-star review, you know, loved, loved listening to Amateur Traveler, but let's face it, travel is dead because of the Chinese-started virus. I think <laughs> oh it was something gosh. like that. It's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> you don't miss all the listeners who stop listening. Let's just say that. But I've got many more things that say, you know, thank you so much for continuing to talk about travel because we're still dreaming of travel. Even last year when people were not wanting to get on a plane, you know, I didn't get on a plane at all until I was vaccinated this year. I've done a couple international trips now this year in between, in between peaks of the pandemic. And, you know, we'll probably do more, but, you know, didn't want to get on a plane. But we kept talking about travel. The only thing that changed with Amateur Traveler is I used to say that I'd like to talk to you if you've been there within the last year. We've relaxed that a bit, you know, to like two years. But we're, you know, we're talking to people who are still on the road, you know, were in New Zealand when it locked down and so have spent their time exploring New Zealand. Or, you know, I think this week we're talking to somebody who returned to Ireland after he was working in the U.S. and then the pandemic came and, and spent basically the pandemic time exploring his own country and didn't know it that well. And so there are still people who are on the road. Uh, there are still people who have stories to tell and I'm still dreaming about travel. I don't know about you or your <laughs> audience, but I suspect a few of them maybe as well. So that hasn't changed as much. The big difference is for the blog, I tend to blog about things that I'm doing. So I have done some older articles where I've you know put together it, you know, when I started blogging, we were writing a lot shorter and smaller articles. And so most of those have come back off the, the blog where I would put up um, trip journals. And, you know, trip journals really weren't written for anybody else. They were written for me. And so I've taken some of those and turned those into articles and, you know, done some research to make sure they were still current and things like that. But then I've also just focused more on California, which is where I live. And so my California travel blog, CaliforniaTravelMedia.com has actually grown <laughs> during the pandemic because a lot of people like me didn't want to get on a plane. And so if we were traveling, we were just traveling within the state. And, you know, we have one tenth of all the people in the U.S. who live in the state. So that's still a fair number of people. So and you see it go up and down uh, with the news about the pandemic. So the traffic, the 
day that we started locking down, most travel blogs lost about half their yeah. traffic overnight. Yeah, absolutely. The podcast less so. The podcast, the number of listeners per episode, I will get 11,000, 12,000 listeners within the first month, 15,000 by about three months. That hasn't really changed that much. The numbers have gone down, but they've gone down because that was for the new episodes. It's the older episodes that aren't getting as many listens because people will come back and listen to that show before they go. And when they're not going, <laughs> they don't they don't download it. But I mean, last year was still the third biggest year ever for amateur traveler wow. as a podcast. So the these podcasts tend to be harder to grow and harder and more sticky once you have grown that audience. So that's, you know, kind of the good news, bad news with with that. But you know, again, we saw the numbers starting to rise and then, you know, Delta spike came around and they've dropped again. So you know, I lost about a third of the traffic for the California blog here in the last two months. And it'll, you know, it'll come back. We're starting to see the numbers trend down and, and the numbers will come up again for the, as more people are searching for travel. But, you know, it is what it is right now. It's a good time not to be trying to make your living as a travel writer, travel PR person, travel blogger, you know, uh, in the travel industry, it's tough. And it's been kind of nice for somebody like me who's been doing this for 16 years but makes his living as a software mm. engineer. I don't make my living as a, a travel writer and it's harder. Uh, it's a whole lot easier to make your living as, as a software engineer. Right? Yeah. Well, and, and you could though. You could technically just leave all of the tech behind and do this full time because you're... I could, yeah. but I'd have to leave my <laughs> wife behind who does not want to get on the road full time. Your and, wife would be like, no know, thanks. I'm, I'm rather fond of her. It's we will be together uh, 40 years wow. coming up here in November. So we were married before it was uh, when I was too young to participate. If we'd had a toast to the wedding, so um, at this point I don't really uh, want to leave her behind. Yet even when she's planning on retiring in a couple of years, and you know at that point I think, well, hey, I can I work remotely now. My company has no headquarters, and so we have you know one person who's working from the south of France normally, although this week he's in San Diego because he wanted to go to San Diego. <laughs> but, you know, he's all over the place. And one who's in Portland and I'm in San Jose and three people who are in Boston and one who's in Guadalajara. And that's it. We're, just, we're only seven people. So I could work from anywhere as far as the company is concerned. We just have to work out time zones and things like that. But, but yeah, I'm not sure that my wife is going to be ready to go on the road <laughs> full time. So we'll we just have to see what she's interested in. Yeah. She's like, well, what would I do while you're doing that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. She's like, what, am I going to get bored? I don't know. But that's good. You're very caring in that sense. I've, I've heard people say, no, thanks. I'm going to do this on my own. Bye. <laughs> Well, she she does let me go to places she doesn't want to go Aww. to on her own. So the first place time I went to uh, Thailand, I was at a conference in Thailand, I think the first time I was there, and um, she didn't want to come. I was really surprised. I said, I don't, I don't understand why you don't want to come. I, I feel like you've got the wrong impression of Thailand. What are you picturing? And she said, I'm picturing it. It's going to be hot, humid, and chaotic. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, it will be those things. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so uh, there are some places that don't make her list that make mine, although we've, we've grown her comfort zone over the years. Uh, she has now gone to places where you can't drink the water. She's now <laughs> camped, in, camped in Africa, and camping itself is not one of her big favorite things to do. But she said she would do it once, and as we were on this 
um, Overland Safari with uh, with people from Amateur Traveler, with listeners of the show. She started talking about, well, you know, next time we come. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. I, you know, I might do a little more. I might change the mix a little and, and stay in Lodge of some, but, you know, so it uh, – she her, her comfort zone is great. Well, it's it's so. nice that she at least tries it, right? Something, something. Not India, for instance. Right? But. <laughs> <laughs> you are you're you're getting her out of her comfort zone, which is nice, and she's at least willing to try some things, and she's not opposed to everything, which you know, which would would be a nightmare if if this is something that you really love to do. But la, well, I love that you guys, you know, you're willing to. Uh, uh, give give each other something and take something too. <laughs> I love that. So, Chris, let's fast forward to about 30 or 20, 30 years from now and you're looking back at your life. What legacy would... Okay, but you'll, you'll have to speak up. <laughs> oh, sorry. What... So... If, if I'm 30 years older, I'm going to have a hard time hearing you. Let's just point that out. Okay, so... We're now, we're now talking about the age of my father and I know what... I know what 34 years from now looks you, like. You need so. your hearing aid uh, for everything, right? Yeah, well. <laughs> so what legacy would you like to leave and what do you want to be remembered for? You know, it's really hard because unless you've written, you know, the great American novel or something like that, I don't know that podcasts will be a a long lasting, you know, people will still be remembering what we do now in, in 30 years. So I think I'm more likely to be remembered by friends and family and, um, you know, I basically just want to be remembered as somebody who it made their life better to hang around me than not. <laughs> so, you know, you want to be somebody who is leaving a positive imprint on the world, you know, whether that be sustainable travel or just, you know, uh, fun to be around that there's a gamut of things there. Yeah. And that's, a lot to unpack with your life so far, Chris, because you've literally done pretty much everything that you've wanted to to do. So, wait. So, so tell us, Chris, what other things are you planning with your life? Because I'm like, oh my gosh, you've lived like a hundred lives already. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for one thing, there's a whole lot more travel I'd like to do, but but that's. True. And one of the things that's different, so when you're my age instead of your age, I have a friend who said he got to the point where he started reading a book and if he didn't like it, you know, 20 pages in, he would stop reading because he realized he only had so many books left. And I definitely see that with trips. I was in um, the Philippines, oh, I don't know, five years ago, maybe it was longer ago than that, in the Batad Rice Terraces, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site up in the North Island. And it, it nearly kicked my butt. <laughs> you know, you're, you're hiking up and down these rice terraces in the tropical heat. Yeah. And it was, it was hard. And I was not having as hard a time as, you know, there were seven of us on this press trip and three of them didn't do the second one. <laughs> so, you know, I was the, there were three who were faster than me, three who were slower than me and, and me in the middle in the first one. And the, uh, the second one that we hiked, I was the slow guy. I was the one that you were having to wait for. And it was one of those things, you know, I'm glad I'm doing this now. And they're definitely those kind of trips that you can't do them when you're 80. Mm. At least most people aren't going to be able to. You know, when you're 80, you can do the uh, the Rhine River cruise or something like that. You could, there are trips that you can do. And when you're 90, we watched our parents not travel. Mm. Uh, basically, the airport 
you know, my father was a, was a frequent flyer. He was in the 100,000 mile club. He'd flown, you know, more than a million miles on, on United, for instance, and knew the travel system so well that he visited me when I was in college on his employer's dime because he found a way to have it be cheaper for him to fly to Ohio via upstate New York (laughs) for the weekend, you know, and save the company money so they didn't mind him adding that onto it. You know, he knew his way around the airline schedules, especially in those day and age, uh, which was shortly after deregulation. But, you know, now getting up and walking to the dining room is a hard thing. And so uh, there are only so many trips in my future. And so it's one of the reasons why I didn't want to do the traditional you know, wait until you retired and then travel like my parents' generation mm-hmm. did. Because they traveled for about four years and then they didn't have the the money and then pretty soon they didn't have the strength. Yeah. It's that mentality that you have to enjoy your life after. <laughs> yeah. You know, when yeah. You and retire. we've tried not to do that. You know, while at the same time, you know, paying the mortgage and, and doing a fairly traditional life if from some respects you know i'm sitting in a room in my house <laughs> and uh, but it is a balancing act to try and figure out what you what you want and to live intentionally i think is really what i'm trying to do yeah that's a really good point to all of this because there's different stages in your life when you're younger you're able to do things like you mentioned you know that you can't do when you're 60 or 80 years old and i feel like there's different times for that. And you really have to be able to appreciate it when you can, because you're never going to get back that time again. And then, you know, when when you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, there's going to be a lot of what ifs, you know, what if I had done this in my 20s or 30s or 40s? So well, and I remember uh, hanging out in London. I think the, I mentioned uh, Craig and Linda from the Indie Travel Podcast when they were still podcasting. I think the first time we met in person was in London. And it's a little hard to remember if it was the first time because we'd been listening to each other's podcasts for a while. <laughs> so we knew each other. But we, you know, so it's hard to remember when we actually met in the real world. <laughs> um, but they, I was working a full-time job and they were making more of the traditional a nomadic lifestyle and teaching English some as along the way and, and things like that. And neither of us was quite happy with where we were in terms of the mix of things mm. because I, you know, I wanted to travel more. I had the money to travel, but not the time. And they had the time, but not the money. <laughs> and we said somewhere in between, somewhere in between, it seems like there's a good mix. And, and for me that, you know, for the six years that I was doing it recently as a part-time worker, that actually was a pretty good mix. I'm not looking to be on the road 12 months a year, but I was on the road about a third uh, to a quarter of the year, somewhere in that range. And that, you know, let me stay, stay married uh, with a happy wife who could come with me on the trips that she wanted to, and then also get out and explore the world, but also still be saving money for retirement when I can do it more full time. So, you know, that was a good mix for me at that time. Yeah. And it's nice to to understand that, right? To understand where you really fit because everyone has their own way of living their life the way right. it fits them. So and in order for you to do that, you really have to go out there and try it. Try which which way really works out for you. And once you find that, it feels so good. <laughs> 
Thank you so much, Chris, for being here and joining us today. We really appreciate you. If our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you? Uh, Probably the best spot is uh, AmateurTraveler.com. Everything is all linked from there. Perfect. Thank you again, Chris. We really appreciate you being here. And we can't wait to listen and read your travel adventures. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Chris. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to get the extended interview where he shares how to grow your podcast audience and community. Hey friend, have you been wanting to start a podcast? I know it can be overwhelming in the beginning. Believe me, I have been there. Lucky for you, we have created a new site called howtocreatepodcast.com that shares a ton of freebies that can help you get started. From launching, growing, to monetizing, we share it all in one place. Visit howtocreatepodcast.com for more information. Hey listeners, thank you for listening to this episode and I'm so thankful for your support. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and get suggestions on guests, topics we can discuss, and so much more. Feel free to reach out at hello at theoffbeatlife.com and let me know what you'd like to hear. If you like the show, don't forget to give us some love and review on iTunes. Thank you again for being a part of this journey and I can't wait to hear how your location-independent story will unfold.